This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Our scripture reading today is Haggai 1, 1 through 15, which is on page 791 of your Pew Bibles. Haggai 1, 1 through 15. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Happy New Year. It's good to be with you all. Uh, Hey, let me just give you a quick sense of where we're going to be at over the next couple weeks and uh, why we're preaching from this obscure book, little book at the back of the Old Testament. Uh, So for the next couple weeks as we begin the new year, um, we're going to take two weeks and focus in on 
a couple places that I really feel burdened for us as a church and a, a spiritual family to walk together um, in this next season. So the next two weeks are going to be particular messages that uh, have just been kind of stirring around. Sorry about this. Having some trouble here. We good? Hello? Sorry. This is not fun. Okay. I don't want you to have to hear the, like, scratching of my face the whole morning. Okay. Maybe we're better now. Um, Yeah, so the next two weeks, there are some particular things that are stirring in my heart that I want to invest into us as a spiritual family. So this week and next week, we'll, we'll be looking at those. Um, and then we'll jump back into the Sermon on the Mount for the rest of January and finish our time there looking at Matthew chapter 7. And then in February, from February until around Easter, we are going to be looking specifically at the person of Jesus. So uh, one of the things that's been really strong in my heart over the last couple months as I've prayed about the next season and where we're going to be in the pulpit is since almost Easter of last year, we have looked at the teachings of Jesus in the Upper Room Discourse and in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've, we've really focused in on what does it mean to express our faith to Jesus through obedience to his words. And I, I think it'd be really beautiful and powerful for us as a church family to take a season and just look at Jesus. Um, my, my explicit goal for that season would be to ask the Lord to inflame our hearts with affection for the man Jesus Christ. Um, that we would be captivated and allured with the glory of Jesus, the majesty of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the, the, the self-giving love of Jesus. And so we're going to walk through looking at the different attributes of our Savior. Um, and and my, my hope would be that like Luke 24 type reality would happen in us where the people who are on the road to Emmaus, after they realize that it's Jesus who has been with them and he disappears and they look at each other and they go, hey, we should have known because while he was talking, our hearts were burning inside of us. That's what I hope that the Lord will do for us in that season. And so that's, that's kind of the next uh, several months together in the pulpit. But this morning, I want to focus in in a specific way as we enter into a new year together as the people of God um, with, with something that I think is on the heart of God for us as we look at a new season together. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll, we'll dive in. <clears throat> so Father, we, we ask you this morning as we stand uh, literally on a day that marks a new season, a new year, a new calendar year. God, in, in, in the place where even in the natural and in our, our culture around us and in society where, where there's so much energy to establish new rhythms and new patterns and, and resolutions, God, I, I want to ask that you would give us a particular grace to know what you are up to. God, would you open our eyes to see what you have for us, both individually and for us as a church family? 
God, I ask that this season, in, in, in the month of January in particular, that you would begin to speak to us and align us with what you have for us. God, would you remind us of, of, of what you've called us to and remind us of what it means to walk worthy of you. God, I ask that you would do what Paul prays for the Colossians uh, in chapter one, when he says, would you fill us with the knowledge of your will? that we would have understanding and discernment to know how to walk worthy of you. God, that we would be fully in line with the things that are on your heart. God, would you give us a spirit of revelation as we step into this season? God, would you open our hearts and our minds by your spirit in accordance with your word, Lord, that we would be aligned with you in every place and in every part of our lives our thoughts, the way we, we see the world and the way we order our resources and our time and our energy. God, would you give us grace, we ask in Jesus' name for his glory, amen. So look with me at your notes. We'll just dive right in. As we uh, begin a new year together, as a spiritual family, I wanna invite us in a specific way to a focused season of looking at our lives, our pursuits, our focus, our passions, our loves. What are we orienting ourselves toward uh, as we live our lives? I wanna ask us to consider our ways as we heard laid out in the scripture this morning. I, I, I wanna invite us into a focused season of intentionally looking at how are we ordering our lives? What has God called us to? What has God put in front of us? What is the assignment and the vocation, you could say, that the Lord is putting before us? And ask him to order all of our loves and our passions and our energies and our, the things that we've been given to steward in pursuing those things before him. I wanna ask God to orient us wholly around his desire and his vision for us, both personally and corporately. And what I mean by this is, is something along these lines. You know, every believer is called primarily to two things. As you're walking as a disciple of Jesus, you could put what you are called to do under two big categories. Number one is the first commandment right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is what God has called us to. He says, this is of first importance. This is of great importance. What it means to follow after me is to love me with everything that you have, all of your thoughts, all of your emotional capacities, all of your internal world, all of your pursuits and strengths and resources, orient them to love me. And then we have the great commission, Go and make disciples. Give witness to the glory of Jesus and teach others to walk as disciples of Jesus. You can put the life of a disciple or even the corporate life of the family of God under those two headings, right? That's the grand assignment for every believer and every spiritual family. However, there are a lot of ways that that gets pursued in our lives, right? Every individual and every spiritual family is given a particular vocation or a particular assignment 
from God of what it looks like to walk in obedience to those realities, right? Like your assignment may not be the same as someone else's assignment and how that looks in your life is different than it looks in someone else's life. Like some of you will be called to leave things here and go uh, across you know, nations to share the gospel of Jesus with others. We have a couple of our missionaries in the room this morning. I'm actually really stoked and excited about that. But some of you may be called to go across the street and do that, right? Like each of our assignments before God of what it looks like to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to walk in obedience to the Great Commission may look different. And so what I'm asking us to do in this season is in a focused and specific way, individually and corporately, ask the Lord, remind me of what that looks like in my life. Remind me of what you've called me to. What does obedience to that look like with my time, my energy, my resources, my relationships? What have you called me to And what does it look like to orient my life around that? Letter B, the new year affords us with a lot of latent momentum inside towards such endeavors. Every new year we're overtaken by so much energy around us towards new year's resolutions and refocusing our lives in ways that benefit us, right? Like you see it everywhere. What's your new year's resolution this year? And they often all have to do with either like physical health because the holidays become this train wreck of sugar cookies and eggnog that just like last for six weeks and you just kind of wake up and go, okay, all right, I got to start this over. It's either that or it's like self actualization, like I'm going to be a better version of myself this year. I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to, I'm going to see more successful things happen in my life this year. I'm going to be more focused towards the things that I want to accomplish. And, and there's, there's some good in that. But what I long for, for us, is although there's value, obviously there's value in pursuing a healthier lifestyle or being more disciplined or all those things, we ought to give more energy in our lives to be intentionally and consistently assessing and becoming resolved around our spiritual well-being. This, is, this should be something that we consistently and regularly and intentionally take time to focus on and look at. Look at Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, hey, Timothy, don't, don't have anything to do with irreverent or silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. He says, exert some effort here. Like you would train yourself if you were going after an athletic event or you were training for a marathon or a triathlon or something like that. Train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Look at this. For while bodily training is of some value, right? There's, there's value to it. There is value to training your body uh, to be healthier and to have more energy and all those kind of things. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds both a promise for the present life and the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So several times in the pastoral epistles, which are Timothy's, the letters to Timothy and Titus, Paul will stop and say, hey, what I just said, 
or what I'm about to say, you better trust this. And what it means to trust it is to accept it, accept its meaning, accept its implications, and lay hold of it. Training your body is of some importance. Training your soul for godliness is of eternal importance. Take hold of that. Trust that saying and accept it fully. For to this end, we toil and we strive. Okay, so there is a spiritual value, letter D, towards resolutions. And if you wanna go test this, so many saints throughout history have written down resolutions. The most famous ones are written by a man named Jonathan Edwards. He was a preacher uh, during the first great awakening in the 1700s. He has 70 or so resolutions that you should look them up on Google afterwards and read them and go, oh my goodness. Like, what would it look like if I set myself to walk in this kind of pursuit before God? They're unbelievable and beautiful and provoking. I think that God is inviting us to, as a spiritual family, to take a season of intentional focus to consider our ways. Ask him to highlight the areas where we've gotten off track. Where have we forgotten? Where have we just because of the the rhythms of life and how things come at us, we've drifted away from what he's called us to, both as a spiritual family and individually. And then ask him to reestablish us in the things that matter and the things that are of importance for our life in him. Paul, letter E, was unashamed to hold fast to a type of resolution. He oriented all of his pursuits toward a clear and defined vision in Christ. This wasn't haphazard in Paul's life. He didn't just hope that he showed up one day more in line with what God desired. He didn't just like wander his way into it. He said, I am focused. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So here's the exhortation. If everybody's running and only one person runs, run to win. Run to win. You don't run to come in fifth place, right? Nobody plays to come in eighth place. You run to win. You run so that you might win. And how do you do that? Let's, let's look at the natural and then derive a spiritual principle from it. So run that you might obtain it. How do they obtain it? Every athlete, right? If you just look at the, the, the way of the world, every single athlete exercises self-control in everything. They have a vision. I want to be the best. What does that mean for them? What they eat, how they sleep, who they spend time with, what they do on their downtime, how they play, how they rest, how they work, how they live. Every part of their life comes up under that. They are incessant and intense and focused. If Paul was alive today, he would, be, he would use a guy like Tom Brady. 
Now, I don't care what you think about Tom Brady. I'm not a big fan myself. Uh, but I, the older I get, the more mesmerizing he becomes, right? Because this guy has one ambition in life, to win as many Super Bowls as he can, right? So much so that when he is not in the Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday, he goes through the rhythm as though he is because he wants it in his limbic system that his body knows what to do when it's game time. He pretends like he's in the Super Bowl when he's not. That's how focused he is, right? Everything comes up on underline. What does Paul say about that? Every one of those rings is going to burn in God's presence. Everything that he ordered his existence toward, all of that self-control to gain that prize, when he stands before Jesus, it's going to perish. You can run for a wreath that lasts forever. What's the implication of that, right? Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I don't just wake up in the morning and have no focus to what I wanna go after. I don't aimlessly wander through life and hope that I am going to run the course that God has set out for me with excellence and with purpose and with focus. The implication is, so I exercise self-control in all things, not oriented around a wreath that can get burned up, but around one that can last forever. One that will never, ever, ever be taken away. So I think this is important for us as a spiritual family. Look at letter F. I have, I have four reasons. I think this is important for us in a particular way in this season. Now, this is going to be a little more like family time for us. <clears throat> Four reasons that I want to invite us to take a season to focus and look at this in this way. Number one, we find ourselves having walked through a season of extended pruning and shaking and testing and discipline and all of those things. If you've walked with us for the last couple of years, you know that we have walked through really difficult times. There's been a lot that have, has gone on in the life of our body where we've seen a lot kind of shaken up. And the Lord has been at work in really profound ways, shaking and pruning and disciplining and testing and all of those things. And it's not just in our church, right? Like even if you haven't walked with us through the last couple of years, in our culture, at least since the spring of 2020, we've experienced massive disruptions and shaking and testing and discipline and upheaval, right? So everybody in the room, whether you've walked with us for this season or not, has experienced this at some level, right? Our culture has walked through this. We've walked through this individually. I know that lots of us have walked through these kind of things. One of the Lord's purposes in these kind of seasons is an invitation to let go of things, pursuits, loves, desires, things that we aim at, things that we're 
grasping onto, to let go of them in order to focus our lives more on the things that he desires for us, right? So one of the very purposes of a season of discipline or testing or shaking is God wants to, in his kindness and his grace, shake our hands free from the things that won't remain anyway. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews says it this way. He, he says, the Lord says, once more, I will shake everything, not just the earth, but the heavens. This is the Lord speaking there. Verse 17, why does he shake things? Why does he step in and mess with our lives in that way? Why does he do it? In order that things that might not be shaken will remain. Right? He wants to let the rumblings go a little bit so you can look and go, oh, that thing doesn't last. It's falling over. It has no substance to it. I need to let go of it. I need to push it to the side. I need to not give my energy to that. That thing over there is stable and firm. It's not shaking at all. Let me cling to that. Let me orient all of my life to that which will not shake. He does that on purpose. And as we have walked through this, both in our culture, some of us in individual ways, in specific uh, contexts, and as a church, I think we are, one of the things the Lord would desire for us is to take a focused season and begin to ask him, why? Why? Okay, if you, are, if you have been disrupting, what is it that you want me to let go of? And what is it that you want me to build upon? What is it that you want me to give myself to? And what are the things that you want to go, hey, those are getting in the way. They're distractions. They are uh, they're, they're things that can be taken away. That's reason number one. Reason number two, a changing of the seasons. Now, I don't know if you've experienced this. I've experienced this some, and a lot of people I feel like I'm talking to. Uh, it does seem like there is a, a, a changing of season. There's, there's like a settling that's starting to happen in, in some places, uh, a season change over the last several months. But I wanna, I wanna name this. It's really important for us as seasons change and we begin to establish a new reality that we're intentional and focused on what we build on and build toward, right? If we're not, here's what happens. Seasons of disruption happen. We kind of maybe just try to make it through it, like hold on for dear life, get through it. We start to see some stability happen if we are not intentional in that moment, what we can do is begin to just fill our lives back with all the things that God was trying to disrupt anyway, right? We can just haphazardly go, oh, I'm just gonna put that thing back in and I'm gonna put that thing back in. And before we know it, we're right back in the same place we were. And God, God I think, invites us in these seasons to be, have our, our eyes open and our hearts open alive to him or, or, or postured toward him in a way that says, as we begin to establish stability or a, a settling, what do you desire to put into the foundation? What do you desire to put into my life here? So that's the second 
reason. The third reason is just looking at where we've been, uh, even, even what the Lord has brought us through by way of uh, the word and what we've looked at in the scripture since Easter, you know, we've been really focused on building foundations, right? What, what Jesus's words are, what it means to order our lives around following him with everything and giving all of our lives to walk after him in obedience. We've, we've camped out in that, in that reality. First in the upper room discourse, uh, John 14 to 16, and then in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's, here's my fear and why I want to stop and go, hey, let's, let's capitalize on the latent energy of what it looks like to set resolutions in the new year and order our lives to do these things. What I'm afraid is going to happen, we're all prone to this kind of thing. We walk through seasons and get really uh, provoked and stirred up like, yeah, that's what I want to be about. I want to follow Jesus's words there. They're really beautiful. They're really, they're really pleasing. I want to step in. And we, we have this idea that we like, because we heard it and we walked through it, we graduated from it rather than taking the time to intentionally look at how am I going to follow that? What does that look like boots on the ground for my life, in my season, in my situation, in my family, in my relationships, in my job? What does it look like for me to walk this out intentionally? I want these things, the upper room discourse, Sermon on the Mount, that kind of stuff. If, if I can just be honest with you guys, I want these to be like foundation stones in our spiritual family. Like, I want these to be like well-worn grooves that we know. That these kind of realities, we mark us together as a family where we're talking about them together, we're sharing them together, we're reminding one another of what, what we long to be as we order our lives in those ways. And that takes intention. That doesn't just happen, right? It doesn't just, one day we wake up and we go, oh, I'm, I'm following Jesus in those ways more than I was three years ago, right? We have to set ourselves and look at those things. That's, that's the third reason. The fourth is a very similar one or a subset of that one in some ways. We, we've come out specifically over the last several weeks in Matthew 5 and 6, looking at the practices that Jesus has called his disciples to of what it means to actively resist certain sins and actively pursue certain means of grace. So what better time to look at our lives and go, what does it look like for me to order my life to do that? Where are the places where those sins are at work in me and I'm seeing them kind of rear their head? And where are the places that I want to pursue the things that Jesus has called me to pursue. Okay, let's look at page two. Just so you guys know, I'm gonna preach this again next week, so. I'm not in any hurry to get through my notes. There's way more there that I'm gonna get. You guys are like, oh my gosh. He spent 30 minutes on one page. Uh, yeah. Let me just set the, the tone of Haggai's book here to give us why, why I think this word matters to us. So the prophecy of Haggai was given in a broader context of Israel coming back from exile. 
and their efforts to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and their temple. So if you don't know the story, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament very well, the exile is a pretty important piece of Old Testament history. Uh, in, In 606 BC, the king Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came and began to lay siege to Jerusalem and take some of the Israelites into Babylonian captivity, right? There's a 700-mile journey across the desert uh, between Jerusalem and Babylon, which would be in modern-day Iraq. Um, there, there's uh, 30 years where Nebuchadnezzar comes wave after wave and begins to uh, lay siege on the city and take people into captivity. It ends in the big crescendo in 586. Nebuchadnezzar raises the, the city to the ground. He destroys the temple and he takes the last wave of exiles into, uh, into captivity. This was a direct chastisement that the Lord had toward the people of Israel because of their persistent rebellion and sin, right? He had, he had told them this was coming. If you continue to walk in rebellion, I'm going to bring a foreign people to come and destroy your city and take you into captivity if you do not follow me. And this is a direct fulfillment of those realities. Let her see after 70 years in captivity, the people of Israel begin to come back to the land as God had promised by the prophet Jeremiah. At that time, about 50,000 of them make the trek back across the desert, you know, 700 miles to come back to Judea to rebuild the city and their temple, right? You see that in Ezra chapter one and two. So there's three sections of scripture that deal with this reality. Uh, The first wave of them coming back, the exiles coming back and God's dealings with them. So you could go read about it in Ezra one to six. That's like the narrative that you get about this. Haggai one and two and Zechariah chapters three to eight are God's prophetic evaluation of what's going on and his encouragement to the people in the midst of that. I'll let you read letter E on your own. That's, that's just four important individuals to kind of help you make sense of what's happening in this moment. Even you heard them talked about like Zerubbabel and Joshua and who are all these guys. This just gives a clear picture of that. Letter F, upon returning to the city, the exiles experience a rush of focus and energy to rebuild the temple. Right, so they get back, they make this long journey, they're 700 miles uh, walking back to the city of Jerusalem. They get there, uh, they want to rebuild the temple and they start. And in the course of just about a year, they lay the foundations for the temple. They've got all this energy and they're excited and they're, they're really focused and they lay the foundations of the temple. However, Uh, after they have this season of zeal to build God's house, they're met with discouragement and disappointment and they stop, right? So there's there's several things that go into that. It's harder than they thought it was gonna be. And I want you guys to just have your imaginations on, right? Like we are them, okay? This is really close to us, okay? It's harder than they thought it would be. It's, they experience opposition, so that it's, it's uh, the work is hard in and of itself and there's circumstances and outside things that make it really difficult to stay with it and their reality doesn't meet their expectation, right? So they have this vision of grandeur 
And it's gonna be beautiful, just like Solomon's old temple. This is what you get in Ezra chapter three, when they lay the foundation stones and people who were alive and had seen the former temple wail because it's not what they remember. Their reality and their expectation didn't meet each other. And so they're discouraged, it's hard, and they stop. Letter G, however, after this initial burst of work, the foundations of the temple go untouched for 16 years. Okay, so this is 16 years later, God sends the prophet to them. It's in this context that God sends Haggai to confront the people and reorient their labors and their efforts toward his ways. So the primary message of Haggai 1 is consider your ways. Stop and look at what you are giving your life to. Because it's really easy to just drift into things and wake up 16 years later. We've all done it. Right? You wake up 16 years later and it was harder than you thought it was. It was more opposed than you thought it was. And it wasn't as grandiose as you thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to change the world for Jesus. And here I am like day after day after day. It feels like, does this even matter? Those realities in our hearts propel or... Um, the propensity in us, if we are not intentional, we don't have God's narrative of what's going on, we aren't connected to his heart, we don't continually consider our ways, they, our propensity is to draw back and to settle in and give up. So over time, letter B, uh, under Roman numeral three, God's people had abandoned the pursuit of building his house. This was their purpose at the time, like this was their assignment. This is the thing God had called them to do. And they had focused on building their own houses. Look at Haggai 1.3. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Look at what you're doing. Look at how your life is oriented, what you give your time and energy to. What is it that is in front of you as your first pursuit? Stop and look at it, the Lord would say. One of the remarkable realities of human life is our own propensity to get off course in small and imperceptible ways. Right? There are many places in our lives where we make small or seemingly insignificant choices to respond to a specific circumstance or a set of circumstances. And before we know it, we've walked out decades not truly pursuing the things that we've been called to by God. That's a stinging reality, right? And this is, this is kind of how it happens. It doesn't happen with a big like, now sometimes it happens this way. Sometimes there are people that like blow their lives up and go the way of a prodigal, right? I'm not gonna believe that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push it to the side and I'm gonna run headlong into these uh, practices that are outside of the Lord's heart. Oftentimes, it happens a lot more like, okay, I mean, this, uh, you're gonna hear me say like things that are real to me, right? We gotta figure out changing our insurance, right? There goes 
four weeks of our life. Well, we gotta, we gotta figure it out, right? We gotta figure out how to do this. And then, oh, oh, we have to, we gotta fix the car and we gotta do this and we gotta do this and we gotta do this. And it's all these like little have-tos that pile up on top of one another. And you look back and go, As, am I giving my life to the things that God has, has called me to? Am I focused and pursuing and oriented towards the things that matter, right? We all know this kind of energy. I was thinking about it this morning as I was praying. Uh, anybody who lives in Midtown and bought a house to fix up knows this in really practical ways, right? Like, and then you can apply this to spiritual things, right? In 2020, we spent uh, the pandemic summer redoing our house. We, we, we happened to buy a house right around the time the pandemic started. We couldn't do anything else. And so we spent the whole summer just like redoing walls and redoing floors and electrical and all this kind of stuff. It was kind of perfect in the way that it lined up. We slowly made our way from, we did the first floor and the second floor uh, because we needed to live in those ones. And then we got to the third floor and there's still painter's tape on my floor in the third floor. Just, just so you know, right? We all have these kind of things in our lives. Now that didn't happen because one day I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. It was just like not front and center. And then 75 other things came up and slowly over time, it just got pushed to the side. This is what happens in our life in God. Sometimes we actually will respond one after the other to these seemingly small things, seemingly insignificant things. And we wake up a year later, five years later, a decade later, 16 years later, and we have been off course. And it's like, where did they go? Right? It's into this moment that God speaks and invites them to consider their ways. Look with me at the top of page three. So to, in order to remain focused or purposed, we have to continually look at our lives. We don't often drift into the things that bring and sustain life, both naturally and spiritually. You know, I've joked about like, we don't find ourselves at the gym. We find ourselves at the bottom of the tub of an ice, ice cream like thing, right? That's where you find yourself, right? Your natural drift is not going to be like, I just happened to run six miles this morning. I didn't even think about it. And it's like five miles in. I'm like, what am I doing? You don't find yourself those ways. You find yourself having eaten four cookies. Like, and this same is true about our spiritual life. We don't find ourselves doing the things that build life in us, right? We don't find ourselves fasting or praying or uh, giving. These things that Jesus has put in front of us, we don't just wake up one day and it's like, man, I can't believe how much money I gave away this year. Wow, I, I, I can't believe it. I, I didn't even plan on that. It was just like, oh, giving money away left and right. That's not how it happens. You find yourself having bought three more TVs, right? That's, that's how it works, right? We have to be intentional and consistent 
Letter E, many of the things that the Lord rebukes his people about are not sinful in their own regard. And we have to, we have to see this. It's not sinful for the people to build houses, right? The Lord's not going, I don't want you to have a house. He's saying, your first pursuit has been disordered. You distorted this and you lived in a disordered way. Because of that, I want you to stop and consider. Just stop and look at this. They are wrongly ordered in their lives and their pursuits apart from considering what God had called them to give themselves to. Likewise, it's easy for us to be consumed with pursuits that are not sinful, but are disordered in their value. And this is why we ask the Lord, like what time it is and understanding our lives. This is what Paul, I wish I had a long time to talk about this, maybe next week. This is what Paul is getting at in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter two, verses three and four, when he talks about Timothy living like a soldier. And then he says the phrase, a soldier doesn't live like a civilian, right? You have to know what time it is, right? It's not that a civilian's pursuits are wrong, but if you're pursuing what a civilian pursues when it's wartime, you're dead, right? It's your life is on the line. If you're on the front lines and you live like a civilian, you're toast. You have to be understanding of what is in front of you and what God has called you to and how to respond in that season. So Jesus is inviting us to that, I think, as a family. Look at, look with me at um, letter I. Oftentimes, I don't know if we understand the relationship between our daily choices and our spiritual health. Many of us experience seasons of spiritual lethargy or sleepiness because of the disordered use of our time. This is, this is one of the things that I just, I'm praying for regularly for us to go, I want to see the relationship between my pursuits in the grace of God and my spiritual health. Right? This isn't, I'm not talking about your acceptance before Jesus or what you have been brought into by grace through faith. But I am talking about the vibrancy of our life in God. The, the aliveness of our soul to the things of God, to his love, his grace, his power, his joy, all of those things, our aliveness to it is related to our pursuits. It is related to our pursuits. I'm going to let you look at Roman numeral four on your own. Look with me at the last page just really quickly. So this January, in in lieu of a focused season of fasting and prayer, which we've done the last several years. We've, we've, we've done a 21-day season of fasting and prayer as a spiritual family uh, a lot of times. I want to f- invite us to something slightly different. I want us to take the month of January and to focus our efforts on considering our ways. Asking the Lord, God, would you show me? What have you called me to in this season? Where have I gotten off track? Where have I drifted? Where have I disordered my pursuits? Where am I not seeking first the kingdom and and the righteousness of God? Where am I giving my love away to other things? And would you begin to speak to me about what it means 
to reorder my, my life, our life around that. Look at letter D. Stepping into a season of focused evaluation and consideration of how we're utilizing our time, our energy, and our resources doesn't earn, anything us, earn us anything in the presence of God. I want you to see this from Haggai just so that we're not like battling shame or condemnation, right? Like the Lord could have sent Haggai at any time all over those 16 years. It, they could have stopped and 16 days later, he could have sent the message. Have you ever thought about that kind of stuff? 16 months later, he could have sent the message. He let it go for 16 years. And then he sends the messenger, hey, wake up, consider your ways. And then he tells them this staggering statement, because I'm with you. I'm right here with you. I'm not waiting for you to get this ready or, or, or right or perfect before I'm, I'm with you. I want you to do this because I'm already here. I'm right here. I'm already with you. And because I'm with you, I want you to be aware of that. I want you to live in accordance with that. I want your life to be lined up with that. I'm right here. And I have been all 16 years. I have been right here. But I want you to come in line with that. That's what I think God wants to invite us into in this season together. So how do you do that? You take time to ask questions. I've got some questions here for you. You pray certain prayers. We'll talk more about this next week. And you begin to put concrete things in your life. And I want to give you one just because it starts today. And I'm, I'm really stoked about it. And I, I want to invite as many people who want to do this into it. One of the concrete steps you can take is to come up with a way that you are going to engage the word. One, a, a way that you can engage the scriptures in a consistent and meaningful way. There's all sorts of plans out there, right? You can do Bible in a year. You can do 10 chapters of the New Testament a day. You'll read the New Testament in a month. It's kind of unbelievable, right? You can do the daily Psalms. You can do the daily Proverbs. Like there's all sorts of ways that you can engage the scripture. There's one thing that I'm actually really excited about, about though. A couple guys in our church have been eager and excited to see ways in which they can read the scriptures more quickly and, and in longer chunks. And they've been dabbling with different things like Bible in 100 days or Bible in 90 days or all those kind of things. There is a group of guys in our church who have a plan to read through the whole Bible in, Nathan, it's 98 days. Is that right? 98 days, January 1 to Easter. There's a group on church center. If you want to do this, if you're going like, okay, I'm going to do something crazy. And it's not that intense. It's like 35 minutes a day. They've timed it. I mean, they've done a lot of work. It's really awesome. Like the chart is color coded. It's really beautiful. It's like really cool. Um, go on church center. Go under groups and there's a Bible in 98 days group. Join it. Read the Bible through in a season together. What, what would change in our church if we were like ingesting the word together in consistent ways? 
That's one of the primary places, right, where we consider our ways is line ourselves up to more regularly feast on the revelation that God has given us of himself, his purposes, his plans. It is like the the center for us. I want to invite you to do that if you would so desire. It's there. You can get on your app, find it really easily. Okay. All right. I'm going to be done there this morning. We'll just pick up next week and jump back into that. Would you all stand with me? Hey, I love being with you guys. Uh, as we get ready to respond, can we just take a minute to present ourselves to the Lord this year? Just consecrate our lives to him as a family. One of the ways we could do that, if you, if you feel comfortable just opening up your hands, just in a posture that even, even, even with our body, both demonstrates like our submission to God and uh, uh, an openness and a willingness to receive from him. And it, it doesn't do anything like magical, right? Like, but we have been given bodies. Uh, God invites us regularly to use our bodies to, uh, to, to posture ourselves before him, right? So we're just gonna, we're just gonna say yes to God. So Lord, we, we do say yes to you. We say yes to you. And even even all across the room, just in your own way, just say yes. Yes, Lord, I I want my life to be ordered around what you desire. God, would you begin to speak to us as a family what it is that you have for us? What is it that you have for me individually in this season? God, would would you take all of the energy and the resources and the, the, the things that you've put before us to steward, would you orient them toward what you desire? God, would you make, make us more like Paul, that we would have self-control in all things, that we would run as though to win, as though to obtain, not a, not a perishable prize, but something that will last forever. Holy Spirit, right now, by, a, by the spirit of revelation in our hearts, would you begin to grip us and captivate us with a vision for eternity? Would you give us the fear of the Lord? God, I ask that this year would be marked more in our family by the fear of God the fear of the Lord, that it would be our portion. It would be our good. God, that we would experience the cleanness of the fear of the Lord. We would experience the wisdom of the fear of the Lord. God, would you let us see that your eyes are upon us? And would you let us see that you are with us? That you are with us, that we don't have to jump up and down to try to get your attention. You love us and you send us your words to invite us to see that you are already with us and that you, you want us to be more aware of that. 
more in line with that. So even right now, would you speak that to us? God, I, I just stand against places of condemnation and shame. God, would you wash us with the truth of your word that you're not looking for us to perform to get your affection or your attention, but you want us to be liberated in the joy of what it means to be aligned with you, walking in your ways. So right now, would you even stand against a spirit of shame and pour out a spirit of acceptance, a spirit of love, a spirit of peace, joy in Christ Jesus? Would you let the fruits of the spirit abound in us? We ask in Jesus's name, amen, amen. Okay, so we're gonna respond together uh, by, through song, uh, we come to the table together and we, we're gonna have uh, people that would love to pray with and for you. Uh, this is, this is kind of one of those moments where if like your heart's stirred and there's places in your life where you're wanting to go, I wanna, I wanna hear God's voice here. I want, I want more um, wisdom here. We have, we have people in the sanctuary that would love to stand with you and ask God to speak to you. Um, and, and there is a beauty of even with our bodies, again, going and bringing others into that and letting our brothers and sisters stand with us and ask and agree in those places. So if you're feeling stirred, don't, don't leave without getting somebody to agree with you and ask the spirit to do more in you. Um, and we'll come to the table together for any and all who trust Jesus and look to him and him alone for your righteousness. Uh, come and take this meal. The way we take at Redeemer Fellowship is we tear a piece of the bread off, dip it in the cup. We have uh, wine in the stoneware, juice in the glassware. Uh, and if you're in the room and you aren't a follower of Jesus, you don't put your faith in him, uh, we wanna ask you not to come and take this meal. This meal is a meal that signifies the reality of our faith in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And if you don't put your faith in that, the meal uh, doesn't do anything for you. It's not, it's not a, like a, a, a magical um, ritual or something. This doesn't afford you right standing with God or, or anything like that. So we would, we would invite you to stay in your seat. Don't feel pressure to come and perform or be a part of that. Uh, we're really glad you're here, but would rather you look to Jesus this morning. Um, so. Our servers are here and ready uh, in the middle, should be up in the balcony. We got a gluten-free to my right, to your left. Um, I think that's all I got. I love you guys. Come when you're ready and we'll respond in those ways.